4: This episode of Writing Excuses has been brought to you by our listeners, patrons, and friends. If you would like to learn how to support this podcast, visit www.patreon.com slash writingexcuses. Season 15. Episode 9.
5: This is Writing Excuses. Choose your own adventurous publishing path. 15 minutes long.
3: Because you're in
6: a hurry. And Dong Wan didn't know he was supposed to turn to page three. <laughs> I was too busy
7: marveling at the beauty of that very smooth episode title. Isn't and I was
3: great? panicked I'm, because I'm, I'm, I'm in, like, a different spot. So These <laughs> are the kind I'm of titles
5: saying? we get when there's no adults in the room. <laughs> Choices have been I'm made. I'm Dan. Who are the people I'm in Dong the
3: I'm Piper. I'm Howard.
5: <laughs> awesome. Okay, despite the very unprofessional nature of this uh, episode intro, this is a very great and important Topic to discuss. Uh, one of like you know, as we've been covering throughout the entire year, uh, there's a lot of career questions that we know you listeners have, and this is one of the big ones that we hear at conventions and and all the time is, should I go self pub? Should I go traditional pub? Should I do some kind of hybrid of that in the middle? And so we wanted to make sure that we had both Dongwan as an agent and Piper as a very successful hybrid author on this cast to talk about this. And so I'm gonna ask the really dangerous question first that's gonna get us all in trouble. When you're looking at a particular work, how can you decide what the best outlet for that is? Self-pub, indie, trad, how do you I know? have
3: a thought, but I think Dong Wan has a thought too.
7: Let's see if our thoughts are in alignment. Um, so I think as my thinking about this has evolved and as I've sort of taken a close look at both markets and sort of the state of where traditional publishing is, I have become more and more convinced um, that there are two parallel but separate markets happening in book publishing right now. I think the indie readership and the indie authorship and in publishing is often a discrete set of people from the people buying traditional uh, books in bookstores um, and you know so I think the question is when you ever have a, a specific book is is this particular type of book working? in the indie bookstore or in in indie, well, indie bookstores or in independent publishing, right? And so I think you need to be looking carefully at who else is doing this and are there other successful titles like your book in this market, right? So if you're writing a, you know, 200,000 word literary, beautifully written, you know, epic fantasy story, I think that's going to be a really tough sell in the indie market, right? Um, on the other hand, if you're writing a 60,000-word propulsive urban fantasy that's part of a 10-book series, you're going to have a real hard time finding a traditional publisher, right? So I think a lot of this is being driven by certain market trends, certain audience ex- expectations and demands.
6: I'd like to take just a moment to address the the third possibility, which is that uh, the thing that you are writing, depending on... Who you are and what it is that you are writing might not fit in either place because it's not very good. Um, <laughs> and I I I hate to I, I, I hate to phrase it in that way, but if you've been turned down by for representation by agent after agent, if you've gotten rejection from editor after editor, uh, and what they've been saying is, you know, this isn't ready yet. Thank you for playing. That's very different from what my agent told me in 2006, which was, I have tried to sell this. We're talking about Schlock Mercenary. They said I have tried to sell this, and everybody I've talked to has either said, I'm already reading Schlock Mercenary. I love it. We don't have any place for it at our publishing house. Or, I don't know what that is, but I can tell you right now, we don't have room for it at our publishing house. In every case, the answer was, Howard, you need to be self-publishing. Now, mm-hmm. I'm self-published differently than uh, the, you know, the Kindle Unlimited or whatever market, but the decision point is the same. I was told by the the, the gatekeepers, if you will, that my thing fit in a different space. Mm-hmm. Um, if I'd been told, oh, we would love to pick that up, something like that up, we've been looking for just such a thing, but this one's really crappy. <laughs> Going to the indie space with it might not be a great career move. Mm-hmm. So, and that's, I, I bring that up because I don't want, I don't want people to go to indie uh, because, I don't want them to go to indie without without good
5: critiques, without understanding. Yeah. Yeah. And and I'm glad that you brought that up because even 10 years ago, that was the f- the whole stigma of the entire yep. indie market which is these are the people who couldn't hack it in the real publishing and so they went indie which is not it wasn't true then and it's very very not true now it is yep. absolutely a a respected and viable publishing path that it mm-hmm. wasn't before now, Piper, you keep trying to talk, and we keep stepping on you. What do you want to jump? You're in not here stepping
3: with? on me. I'm dodging. I'm waiting. I'm dodging. <laughs> um, but the moment is here. Uh, so I do agree that there needs to be a certain quality that you have to have faith in in your book and be sensitive to, open to critique, so that you know that this is the right quality. And there are, I agree, certain market trends that will help you realize that perhaps your book could find your readership better via self pub or indie. So for example, science fiction romance right now at this time in 2019 is very niche. It has a very specific readership and that readership often looks for things online in certain ways. Um, And so it's so niche, it's not necessarily picked up by trad pub, but there are readers out there hungry for it. So it can still be very, very successful if you take the leap of faith to go indie with Mm -hmm. this series. And you can have a really small, tight, but super loyal readership out of Mm -hmm. that. And that can be very, very profitable. Um, I would say paranormal romance is something that people have been waiting for it to come back for years and years and years. But I got news. There's readers. They're out there. They love paranormal romance um, and they would eat it up. But the audience is out there for indie work, and self-help work.
5: Yeah, and, and I agree with that. I, uh, my first self-published book is now eight or nine years old. I've been hybrid for a while, and it was for that exact reason. You know, here's a book that is clearly good, and there clearly is an audience for it, but that audience is small enough that a big publisher is not necessarily interested. And so we put it out in that space, and it found its audience, and, and that's great.
3: Yeah, and you can make money that way. It's not that trad pub is the way to go to make bank, mm-hmm. right? Indie pubs can definitely make, if if your goals are focused on the financial return, mm-hmm. indie pub can be very profitable done strategically. There are advantages to trad, but indie can also have strategies that allow it to be profitable. Uh, you keep such a higher percentage of every sale you
7: make if you go indie, that it takes so many fewer copies sold to really be very profitable. And if you know what you're doing, and if you're successful, you can make significantly more money by going indie than you will traditional.
6: Yeah, six Uh, weeks ago, we had several authors on the show. Um, uh, It was one of the ones that we recorded live at uh, the Writing Excuses retreat. Um, and, And that episode is probably resonating with you right now. Dear listener, as as you are recalling some of the numbers that they spouted, uh, that they spouted.
7: The thing I really want to caution you, though, is for every one person who's making those kind of numbers, there are thousands and thousands and thousands of people who are selling, you know, under 10 copies a week, right? Who who have under 20 copies sold total of their book, right? And, you know, all all I'm pointing out, and that's true on the traditional side, too. There's plenty of books that are published traditionally that vanish out of the trace you've never heard of, right? Mm -hmm. I'm only pointing out that there's no easy mode of publishing, right? And right. sometimes where I get very nervous about the conversation around self-publishing and indie is uh, there's a certain industry people who who are invested in making it look easy and invested in saying that here's a simple path to success, right? Here's the 10 tricks you can do. And from my experience, that just doesn't exist.
6: They are invested in it because they have built a business around Selling shovels to the prospectors. They are the ones who are selling editor services, selling cover services, selling whatever. And part of their pitch is telling you, "Well,
5: and it's not entirely those people, though." I do think that there is kind of a oh, there's absolutely a a group of old school people that have kind of been burned by the market, and Mm -hmm. their primary investment is you know biting the hand that used to feed them and doesn't anymore.
3: Well, I would like to say that I have some wrecks out there because sometimes it's really frustrating to listen to these episodes and just have somebody tell you to go out and find somebody who knows what they're doing. So, dear listeners, I have some people who know what they're doing. <laughs> uh, so, Zoe York has getting a shout out. I don't know her personally. I have not ever spoken to her, but I do stalk her on—I mean, follow her on social media. Uh, Zoe York has a book coming out. She also has two really great podcast episodes on the SisterCast, Um, about building your marketing brand. Now, it's applicable if you're a trad author, but particularly if you're going to go indie, if you're going to go self-pub, those two episodes really, really break down what it's like to think strategically about your approach to the market and how you're not only going to market your first book, but your series, if you're going to have a series, and then how do you keep that going over time so that you can build that trickle income up to something that really feels good. Sky Warren also did a marketing class for expert marketing advice through the RWA forum to celebrate the open of their RWA marketing forum in January, 2019. So those are two people who really know what they're doing and have made that information and knowledge available to you publicly.
7: Hey writers, are you thinking about learning a new language? I think exploring the world, experiencing other cultures, and being able to communicate with people outside your everyday experience lets you create richer, better stories. For a very limited time, Writing Excuses listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off. Visit rosettastone.com today. That's 50% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem your 50% off at rosettastone.com today.
2: so he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand and he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done which is music to his ears call clickgranger.com or just stop by granger for the ones who get it done
5: perfect as it happens zoe york is our book of the week yes romance your brand what can you tell us about that
3: Absolutely. Um, So Romance Your Brand came out in December 2019. It's actually the full title is Romance Your Brand Building a Marketable Genre Fiction Series. So friends, don't think that this is limited to romance. It is applicable across, I would say, all spec fic genres. um, And it is really, really focused on helping you build a marketable brand with an eye towards all the things that you need to be able to keep in mind, the moving parts of promotion and marketing and ads, and also planning out your series. Uh, Because some of these
6: things just work so much better in print than they do in audio, uh, what we're going to do is we're going to get a list of Piper's recommendations for people you can trust. Uh, I want to throw writer beware in there. Um, uh, And we're going to get them into the liner notes so that you've got links I bring up writer beware because I figured out how to articulate my concern. My concern is that the unagented author, the author who has, uh, who who hasn't found their their footing, hasn't found their connections within the industry, and is looking for somebody to help out, is prime target for predatory publishing schemes, and we don't want any of you to end up there. We mm-hmm. want all of you to never end up there. Um, and and the way to avoid that is to listen to the reputable voices um, and and do some homework. And we will have pre-done some of that homework for you.
7: You know, for me, I'm, I'm very focused on educating writers about how the business works, and I think it's really important. It's one of the reasons I do this podcast, not just to hang out with your beautiful faces, but... What I want to do is make sure that people understand what they're getting into. So I I hope I'm not coming off as negative about the indie market. I'm not at all. I think it's a really wonderful opportunity. It just breaks my heart when I see people going out there being sold a false bill of goods and not Mm. understanding how things work. In my experience, you know, kind of going to what Piper was talking about a little bit is publishing is kind of publishing no matter how you're doing it. The fundamental strategies, whether you're doing literary fiction, contemporary realistic, women's fiction, or, you know, indie romance or whatever it is. The fundamental principles are all still the same. Selling books is just selling books. There are different tactics that can apply in very limited ways, right? I think indie has a certain set of tactics that are working, and those change seemingly about every six months or so. Um, So a lot of it is keeping up on, like, what's working right now, what strategy are we using, how's the algorithm working, those kind of things. But we're doing the same thing on the traditional side, on a slightly slower cycle, but what's going on with the booksellers? What's going on with the libraries? What's going on with, you know, the school market? So, you know, a lot of it is similar factors, but the underlying principles are all the same no matter where you
3: are. And And as a hybrid author, I just want to say that you can harness those marketing strategies so that your indie and your trad can work together and actually build each other up. And that let's talk about that because,
5: uh, you know, we talk about being a hybrid author all the time. And yet there are still people who are wondering, can I self-pub? And also have an agent. Is it possible to self-pub one book and then get picked up by a trad publisher for your second one? What can you tell us about that?
3: Well, I can tell you that um, it is totally possible. There are some concerns sometimes with it. You know, you want to look at the genres of what works you're going to self-pub and what works you're going to try to put out there for submission for trad. In some ways, it may be easier for you mentally to think about, I'm going to self-pub in this genre first while I submit for trad in another genre. That doesn't necessarily have to be the way you go, but sometimes it's easier because the risk is if the, you put a book out, indie, and it doesn't perform well, and then you try to take that same book or a book in that series to trad, there's a track record that the publishing house is going to look at to determine whether they think there's a market for that book. And that can impact you, right? Sometimes if your book went gangbusters and awesome, then yes, the trad pub is going to want to eat that up and take it and, and and publish out further with their extended distribution capabilities for you. But in other cases, when the book does not do as well or cannot find its audience, the trad pub may unfortunately decide that that's not a good investment and therefore it can hurt your chances. And you want to think critically about that. You
7: almost never can take a book that you've self-published and resell that traditional publisher. The cases where that happen is people are coming to you because you're selling so many copies, right? So if you're Mm -hmm. Andy Weir and you're just selling a billion copies every 30 seconds, then yeah, a publisher's going to come knocking be like, Hey, we want in on this, right? We want some of your money. If that's happening, then, then that is when that works. If you've self-published something, you're not getting the numbers, you're not getting a lot of excitement, then, you know, my advice is to move on to something else that's in a different category, new series, and that's what you want to be pitching traditional publishers. The hybrid authors I work with, you know, we really view the the self-publishing side and the traditional side as two parallel careers. There's crossover in terms of the marketing and brand. In my experience, there's almost no crossover in terms of audience. The people who buy one are not buying the other one. Right. Yeah. So you can't expect that if you sold 100,000 copies indie, that suddenly you're going to sell 100,000 hardcovers. Right. So I think learning to think of them as two separate channels that you're developing in parallel, it's really more about market and career diversification than it is about transferring an audience from one to the other.
3: I'm going to slightly disagree with you mm-hmm. on the fact that I do, as a Venn diagram, think there's a small amount of overlap. Yeah. because I don't want to disregard the readers that are buying yes. both. But that's because those are readers that have become loyal to the yeah. author and decide that yeah. the author, regardless of how it was published, is a one-click buy. Yeah.
6: Mm-hmm. Um,
3: but they are a smaller selection. We also need to take into account
6: that 10 years ago, this conversation would have been completely different and that these markets change. Uh, yeah. For me, the decision points about... Uh, about choosing your own adventurous publishing path, uh, hinge on some of the same things, which are uh, on these two different paths, which market is my book going to sell better into? That's going to change over the years. Uh, The big one for me is, do I want to make the sale once and let somebody else sell it a million times, or do I want to beat down 10,000 doors myself um, I chose the beat 10,000 doors down myself path because I'm an idiot. Um, <laughs> or you also, just really
7: like knocking on doors. <laughs> yeah, maybe.
6: I really, I would much rather, I would much rather have somebody else doing that work for me. But what we found is that that my primary product as of, as of uh, this episode airing is something that plays to a market where, I can't let one person sell it for me.
5: And it's worth pointing out, you said that, you know, these markets change over time. They're still changing. We're in the middle of a massive technological flux in this industry. And I genuinely don't know what either the trad or indie market is going to look like a year from now. You know, we we don't know. And so it is worth your time not just to figure out what to do with your own books, but to keep your thumb on the pulse and, you know— keep track of what is going on, who is big and why, where they're big and why they're big because it's going to keep shifting throughout your career. Um, I have one more question before we end. We're going to go a little bit long because somebody asked a question that I think needs more of a disabusement than an answer. <laughs> uh, it says, does self-publishing count as a debut and hence ruin your chance of emerging with a big bang? And, and you know, in in a lot of ways, I think that if your publishing plan is I want to emerge with a big bang I want a stunning debut written on the cover of my book your publishing plan at that point is to win the lottery um, and what you need to be focused on more so than these questions of am I gonna am I gonna hit big am I gonna have a massive debut you just need to be cranking out good books yeah for and, every
6: for every big debut we can we can think of we can quickly put our fingers on there are a hundred. 10-year overnight successes where yeah. people have been grinding away at this and they've had, you know, books hit the market and they've perhaps, you know, rebooted their career a couple of times. That would be a great topic for later this year. Hey! Uh, hey uh and, and uh and yet we don't really notice them until this thing happens. Well, that's not a debut author. Yeah. That is like, the 10-year overnight success. W- one of the
5: examples I love to use is Hillary Mantel. Uh, you know, she started small, She got big, and then with Wolf Hall, she got huge. She got massive. She had a BBC miniseries, all of these things. And, you know, that was the first time most of her readers had ever heard of her. So, in a sense, that was emerging with a big bang. She just had to write 20 other books first.
3: Right. Patricia Briggs is my favorite Favorite author in the urban fantasy space, but I read her before she hit big with the Mercy Thompson series. She had the CM series, she had Hurog series, she had a really, really fun, adorable book, The Hobbs Bargain, that I was in love with and have read 50 bajillion times and had to buy three new copies of that book. Um, So she was out there already for quite a few years before she ever wrote urban fantasy. And people are like, oh, she hit big. But she was already out there, friends. She was already out there. She'd written quite a few books already before the Mercy Thompson series came out, and that hit.
7: Uh, to sort of go back, though, and answer the actual question, if y'all don't mind. <laughs> oh, fine. Uh, what we do do is we say it is a traditional debut or traditionally published mm-hmm. debut, and you put parentheses around traditionally published, and you make the font real little. So it looks like it's just a debut. That's that's the actual yeah. answer. And,
5: and, and, yeah. and I'm glad that you hit that. Um, Okay, so there is one aspect of this that I do want to touch on a little bit, which is awards. And again, I don't think that your goal should be to win awards. Your goal should be to write good books in a long-term career. Uh, But, you know, for example, the Astounding Award for Best New Author, which is connected to the Hugo, um, that one, you can only win that within the first two years of publishing – but they, look, they do in the, for that one look at specific markets. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so they don't count self-Pub for that to my knowledge. And you know, that could change any day, because as we said, these things are still in flux. Uh, so there is that. But I don't want anyone listening to this episode to say, "Oh, I've got a fantastic book." I'm gonna wait three years to publish it because I wanna make sure I have a shot at the astounding award. Yeah, I don't that, want I don't goal. wanna spoil my astounding eligibility. No,
6: what you don't want to spoil is you're not getting paid for writing these words.
5: Exactly. Agreed.
3: Let's go let's go turn these words into money. <laughs> yeah, awards actually don't often boost your sales. Like there's a there's a spike. Don't get me wrong. There is a spike. But they don't skyrocket your career in the big picture and the long tail. The thing I
7: always say is that awards are a sign that other things are going well. Awards are
5: a consequence, not a goal. Agree. Excellent way of putting it. We are going to end our episode right here, and we are all kind of on eggshells because Howard told us he has a secret homework planned and he wouldn't tell us what it was. Okay.
6: The secret homework plan is I want you to write the... Choose your own adventurous publishing path thing. And what you're going to do, you're going to build yourself a flowchart with little decision points about your manuscript. Is this, you know, is this going to sell into a wider market? Is this a niche market? Do I want to hand sell a bunch of copies? Do I want to, do I want to sell it to one person? Uh, do I have test readers in mind? How do I feel about this manuscript? And you're going to write this thing. And in writing this thing, start fleshing out the, the flowchart. Start fleshing out the flowchart and write a fun fiction about your adventurous publishing path and fill every one of those pages. And I promise you, when you are done with this, you will be the first person ever to have written this (laughs) because it's ridiculous. But also, I promise you, you will be way more excited about choosing these things because you will have begun imagining yourself making the difficult decisions.
7: Please work hard to keep it from becoming Grimdark.
6: (laughs) Oh, I want to read the Grimdark one. That's gonna be great. Make it great. You didn't win the Astounding Ward. The uh, the something got hit by a meteor and all right. Dan, take us home. (laughs) Please.
5: (laughs) (laughs) From where? Um, The ruins of civilization. Unlike Howard, you have no excuses. Now go right.
4: Writing Excuses is a Dragonsteel production, jointly hosted by Brandon Sanderson, Dan Wells, Mary Robinette Kowal, and Howard Taylor. This episode was mastered by Alex Jackson.